I watched it like three years ago. Watch yeah, it. I expect no, I to watch, watch like more than a hundred films in the rest of my life. <laughs> so it's going right. to pay off in the long run my way. All right. I'm not agreeing with you. I'm trying to start. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can tell. <laughs> this is really testing whether this is going to be heard on the mic. In a room that we've proven isn't echoey when it's pissing rain right outside the window. Yeah, a yeah. meter away from this microphone. Yeah, you're sitting under a heat vent. <laughs> Holy oh God. fuck. Can we get this on the mic? This is a cold open. How's this serenity? Listen to all that nature. <laughs> God, it is really shitting down. Oh no! Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew, and I like movies. Welcome back for another. <laughs> oh, do I have to? I also like no, movies. Well, oh, okay. Did it sound well, like you I don't have to specify? It, in my head, I felt like I flubbed the intro. There. Did it sound like I flubbed it, or did I, I wasn't just paying like paying attention? I was. <laughs> <laughs> For all I know, you didn't even say the normal thing. I, I, for fuck's sake, I really felt like I sort of like hit a bit of a speed bump. So I'd be curious if you go back and listen to it. No, I don't want to start again. I just, I, I think it's fine. Okay. To be honest, I, I thought, I thought I was gonna be able to be like a nice, charming little. Did I mess it up, boy? And you were gonna be like, no, you nailed it, boy. The little did I know, you were gonna be like, I wasn't listening. We started. I don't care at all. Oh man, I feel like. We, we, we've been late enough times that maybe this is just a, a fortnightly podcast now. It might be, but I'm not putting a label on it. No. I, I refuse well, to hold the myself dollop, accountable. The dollop thing where they say it's bi-weekly. And they're like, does that mean every two weeks or does it mean twice a week? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not twice a week. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> but we also yeah. don't want to commit to every two weeks. No. It's... Uh, Really shitting down outside. Yeah, so, so throwing, throwing caution to the wind. Uh, last time we recorded at your place, we were in the what I would pitch is probably the echoiest room in the house. Yeah, and Oscar was like, "It's going to be echoey." And it was completely fine. Yep. Uh, we are now recording in the same room, but it is. <laughs> but it's I like organized a, for it to rain really heavily. Absolute thunderstorm, like a meter away from the microphone. Yeah. And those of you who are Canberra residents, so probably most of you, we just had just a, just a little tinkering of hailstones. And so and we were both, both like, emptied uh. our fucking bowels <laughs> because we lost both of our cars earlier in the hail. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, better times, eh? That was January, man. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> All right. Back to movies. Mm. Well, on to movies for the Which first time famously, this episode. I love. Love movies. Yep. Uh, you know what? I'm <laughs> I'm lukewarm on them. <laughs> not, not undecided. I've watched, I've, I'm going back through my letterboxed uh, diary of uh, movies I've I've watched in the last few few weeks. If I love movies, I'd be rating all these five out of five. I don't think I do love <laughs> movies. Some of these are three out of fives. There's like a two. <laughs> all the movies I watched recently are just fine. Yeah, serenity. So look, look forward to uh, <laughs> a, a good old a good old bit of uh, a bit of beefness or pleasure later in the show where we discuss all the other movies we've been watching. But, but the, movie doing, the movie Very we're doing, the movie we're doing, the movie we're doing this week is Shoplifters, mm-hmm. which is actually suggested by a friend of the show, Mary, from ages ago, or maybe she just personally told me she thought it was a good movie when she saw it in the cinema. Yeah, I'm pretty you sure know? I'd heard about it regardless of that. I hadn't. Ear to the ground and all that. (laughs) In any case, it's directed by uh, a Japanese person named (laughs) Hirokatsu Koreeda. Okay. Uh, It was made in 2018. Take your word for it. It's 21 minutes long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
yeah, uh, it, it's it's a it's a movie basically about like a. Uh, it's not twenty one minutes long. It's a full. It's a feature length. Did I say I, twi- I meant one hundred and twenty one? Oh minutes. no, you said twenty one. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> I was no, like, a, yeah, good bit. It's a hundred. <laughs> It's a hundred. Imagine if it was a sixth of the length. <laughs> I thought you were just laughing, laughing at the length of the movie. No. Um, it's a, it's kind of a movie about a family of uh, misfits. They're, they're kind of uh, outcasts, outcasts, socially marginalized people. Yeah, uh, that uh, build a little life for themselves on the outskirts of Tokyo. Uh, a little drama we'll talk about later in the show, but mm-hmm. for the time being, should we see how much news? I can squeeze out of the very little amount of news I found. As well. I have an absolute shitload of beefness or pleasure. So let's, right, cool. let's we'll, rapid we'll, fire we'll, through we'll, these we'll, cunnies. A little rapid fire, new, rapid fire music. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speed it up. <laughs> Big bullet. Great. I'd be curious to see if you can slow that down, how accurate it will be. I think you did pretty well. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Once again, I was going to ask if I flooded it, but I think it's no, no point ep- in even asking. Yep. Um, see, I knew that you were going to do something else that required my uh, my appraisal. Oh, yeah. And so right. I so held thought, off on thought, the first you one. Know what? Like, this fucker's getting one. You know what? From now on, I'm going to start paying attention. Yeah. First bit of news. Mm. Ryan Come Reynolds in. sold his gin company for $600 million. Jesus Christ. He's doing all right? You got a name for it? No, actually, no free clout. Fuck Ryan that. Reynolds. No, that's it. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he also did a. Uh, what would you name Ryan Reynolds' gin company? I'd call it Aviation Gin. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know? I mean. <laughs> I guess that's probably what I'd call it, too. Uh, so here's another one. Uh, H- Have you seen the movie. Blazing Saddles. No. I've seen many best of clips on YouTube. It's a spoof western that Mel Brooks did in, in the mid 70s yeah. with Jill, Gene Wilder. Uh, and it's got uh, like racist language. I feel like they use the N word a bit in the movie. Um, it came out in 74. Yeah. And so the news story here is that HBO Max is streaming it and have added a. Uh, a it's social word con- filter. <laughs> They've added every word is the N word yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> N words only. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, they've added like a social context intro to the start oh, of the similar movie. Similar to Disney. Uh, yeah, yeah. A warning, warning, and educating viewers about the outdated ideas in the movie. Sure. Which I'd, I'm still not really sure on what the what the uh, what the best approach is with this sort of thing. I, I feel like it's a luxury to be like, oh, keep it, just. Just put a black screen at the start saying "Don't say the N word." They'll be fine, won't it? But no, like, I, I don't I, change the art. Yeah, I'm. I'm don't, yeah, I don't feel like change that's the art. I think that can. I think actually, rarely, I think they've come up with an elegant solution to this, where they're just saying, "Hey, just as a heads up, if you're watching this with the young kids or anything, yeah. you might want to explain to them that uh, this is language that's no longer culturally appropriate and arguably never was. So yeah. just have a have a little word to them about it. Yeah, I, and and in this specific case. I feel like this isn't even really a film. Out of all the films that you could label as being problematic, I don't think this is one of the ones that's up there with the most problematic. So they had a uh, a University of Chicago professor in hopefully some related subject um, <laughs> mathematics that said that the um the, the movie is a spoof on classic westerns uh, and that the attitudes that are espoused by the characters 
who are explicitly portrayed as narrow-minded bigots are the ones who are portray- who are coming out Using with this, that like, type of language. That, that yeah. type of language. And yeah. the film's more enlightened perspective is represented by the main characters of the film. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a whole little sort of... It, sound, it sounds like it's like a featurette at the start of the movie, which I think is a good way of going about it, but I'm conscious of the fact that I have the luxury of being like, no, no, keep it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 production halted after motorbike accident on set. Oh, is Mr. Mapather okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, as the Sun reports, there is another delay on the Tom Cruise film with a stuntman's bike exploding as it leapt from a ramp. As it leapt from a ramp? Yeah. Stuntman wasn't surely even that, on it. Surely that makes the stunt better. Also, <laughs> a stuntman... That, it's like meant to be jumping over a bridge and halfway through the first shot of the stunt, <laughs> it just blows up, <laughs> lands totally fine on the other side. They're like, <laughs> we only had one take. <laughs> How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> Oh, man. Um, that sounds funny, but it does also sound like someone was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> was this quote for a quote. Uh, so they said, uh, so, so clearly there was some stunt that went wrong. And they said, this has been a massive challenge to stage and cost a fortune, not to mention weeks and weeks of construction to like build the sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it came to the big day, it went horribly wrong, a source told the sun. Horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, because the fucking motorcycle <laughs> exploded. <laughs> the idea was to have the stunt man land on some huge pillows filled with Card. Filled with gasoline. What? The idea is <laughs> the idea is for the stuntman to land on some huge pillows to cushion the blow while the bike safely crashed to the ground a few meters away. Unfortunately, it was miscalculated. <laughs> the heat and friction of the tires meant that when the bike crashed, the cardboard padding in the pillows sparked and went up in flames. Oh, fuck! So the pillow was like it made like of sh- cardboard, sh- probably shredded paper. Yeah. The smoke was so bad they had to close the nearby RAF field. God. Holy shit. There's fortunately no one was hurt, but it's a total catastrophe, not to mention extremely expensive for all concerned. Tom is very frustrated. Right. <laughs> also, what are they doing with a stuntman? I thought Tom Cruise does all his own stunts. Yeah, not this one. Maybe yeah. not since he broke his little foot. Matt. <laughs> they have very small feet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, that sucks for the stunt guy, I think. Mm-hmm. Although it sounds it sounds like nobody was hurt, so that's good, at least. Yep. Uh, it, re- it was it was recently reported that filming for Mission Impossible Seven would include destroying a Polish bridge that's over a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> the film's director, like, the Christ- Polish <laughs> Polish councils, like, can we? Can't can we, we do, do this? <laughs> like, can we do this on a stage or something artificially? Is it like, no, we we really have to blow this bridge up. So, <laughs> also, like, I'm talking out of my ass here, but if it's a Polish bridge that's over a hundred years old, that's a bridge that survived World War Two. Surely, that's that's like, hey, we only have so many of those left. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say World War Two was less than a hundred years ago. I know. Yeah, I had yeah. to do the math. My head, <laughs> yes, you're right. It's eighty years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the director said that the person behind this report tried to have this condemned. But also in Europe, a hundred years is like, ah, who gives a shit? <laughs> like in Prague, a hundred years. Be like, yeah, fucking. That was, like, we built that last week, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. they got like twelve, <laughs> yeah, twelve hundred exactly. AD. But yeah. Yeah. Um, doorways and shit. Apparently, the person, the uh, the director says that the person, uh, the director says the person behind the report about this bridge tried to have the bridge, tried to have this this condemned, unsafe, and unusable bridge landmarked in the hopes of preventing it from ever being removed and rebuilt. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> someone's like, you know what, Tom Cruise? Fuck you specifically. Yeah. I want this shit bridge. I don't know. Can you tell it's a slow news week? One more, I reckon. One more. Okay. News here that Martin Scorsese... I don't know if we knew this already, but Martin Scorsese has signed a contract to be making films and TV uh, for Apple. <laughs> Was part of their Apple streaming All service right. or whatever. I've heard someone they have say two years of that contract. I, what do you mean? He's old. Yeah, right. I've heard someone Who's say he in the to past. Be signing contracts. I've heard someone say in the past um, that like they reckon that the Apple streaming service, Apple TV, is like or whatever the fuck it's called. It's yeah. like must be like a money laundering thing because yeah. they said all the <laughs> all the TV shows are so comically terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, this one person said a lot of the shit they had that when they that they watched on there was so awful that they were like this has to be yeah <laughs> some taking kind the of, piss they're taking the piss somehow did he sign on to direct or is he like signed on to well, executively produce he's apparently got uh, a his next movie is going to be a co-production between Apple and Paramount Pictures um, it's going to be called Killers of the Flower Moon oh yeah yeah stars yeah. DiCaprio and Robert De Niro so that sounds like a a Martin Scorsese movie. It's yeah, because like it's got Robert De Niro in it, and yeah, DiCaprio now his little, yeah. his news. <laughs> yeah, um, and it says it's a multi-year deal, right? So that Two uh, years, yep. future projects are going to get Apple's hefty wallet behind them, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I just I, I don't really surely Scott because it says here that they're going to be making a making a point to screen them in cinemas and then on the then on the streaming service, mm. but like. I just don't understand how they make money like that. If they're spending like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to get Martin Scorsese movies. I don't understand how that makes money. I think that gives you a bit of an insight into how much money Apple TV is worth. Yeah, but like, but Netflix does it as well. Like, it seems like they spend hundreds of millions. They're making billions of dollars. Uh, Just off subscriptions though. Yes. That's crazy. Billions of dollars, man. Yeah. I would love to know, like, it's how they ac- how they actually make money, because like it's surely, that. But they, that, that, like, how many subscribers Netflix would that mean they have, to have, have to advertising revenue? Yeah, but like, you know how I don't know, just like the oh, you know, razor, like the Gillette doesn't make money on the things; they make yeah. money on the on the razor. No, they make money on the like, subs. How the fuck? Did, <laughs> fuck. All right, here we go. One billion. That's one zero 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 zero, and then three zero 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 divided by. Fifteen dollars a month, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's sixty-six million six hundred sixty-six million. So many million. subscribers. Sorry, six hundred sixty-six thousand six hundred sixty-six. Sorry, how many is it? Six, six, is it sixty? Six, yeah. is it sixty million? It's <laughs> it's eight sixes followed by six sixes. Could you just, roughly how much is it? Seventy million. Uh, six, yeah, sixty-seven million. A month. So they get a billion dollars. No, no, no. I'm dividing a billion dollars by how many subscriptions you would need. At $15 a at month. At $15 a month to make a billion dollars. Yeah. So they get, they get if they had 60 million subscribers, they'd get a billion dollars a month. Yeah. Fuck. i gotta, I got to start Netflix, bro. Yeah. And like, so uh, 60, 67 million subscribers is like a fair bit, but like 67 million fucking well, that's Netflix? Like, that'd be like... Yeah, that'd be like if that's like a fifth of the states. Like if, a, yeah, yeah. If, okay, okay, fine. Netflix. I believe you. Netflix has a lot of money. Yeah, but god damn, god damn. Yeah, and then think about Apple. Like, how many people have fucking iPhones? <laughs> I mean, obviously, Apple TV is probably worth less than Netflix, but yeah. Yeah, but oh, just 
it just seems like it's so much money to be thrown around. But like, what are they just hoping that like a couple people go? Oh, I'll get that for a month just to watch that new movie. I well, suppose so. Like, yeah. How the, many people? The miracle a, is um, how many people does it work on? The miracle is that studios ever had that much money. Yeah. Because yeah, it's a much less profitable system. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um. And I think that's all I've got. I, I think that there's there's one last story about Tenet being slightly edited <laughs> in order to uh, receive a lower age classification ranking. Yeah. Uh, but it's not that interesting. They probably so. wanted to have it shown in China so they had to take out one of the black characters or something. Well, here's the problem. The reason why the scene that they've edited out yeah. <laughs> sounds no one would go to bat saying keep that scene in, all right? Right. So what I would want, right... What I would want is if the story was, oh, there's a scene where Christopher Nolan speaks the truth about capitalism and they had to cut that out to get an M15 rating. Right. But apparently what it is that they had to cut out to get the equivalent of an M15 rating is a scene where a man is kicking a woman. Oh, okay. Which, like, it's an action movie. I don't know. You can have a badass lady spy and a badass dude spy. Yeah, it would and depend on the context. they can be fighting each other. Yeah. It depends on the context. But without context, I'm not going to be like, no. Nah, I want, right. <laughs> I want to see my women get kicked. <laughs> yeah. My so, twenty dollars. So, so I, I can't go to the bathroom with the movie. I paid twenty bucks. Kicker. Based, based solely on this, yeah. I suppose what that does mean is that if you see a woman in Tenet, you know she ain't gonna get kicked. Right. Or yeah, at some point. Or when you get to see the director's cut, there's MA. Yeah. Until the Swinton rocks on screen. Oh, she's she's wow. <laughs> Right in the character. shins. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yep. Fuck yeah. Kenneth Branagh just kicks Tilda Swinton in the shins once. <laughs> She's like, ow. Ow. <laughs> like, yeah, M- M.A. Crazy. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Could have dealt with hearing that every time I read the M.A. sticker on anything for the rest of my life. But I guess that's the way that it goes. Uh, all right. All right. Speak for us our pleasure? Yep. Business. Pleasure. 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 Pleasure. Business pleasure. Pleasure. Business pleasure. Pleasure. Business pleasure. 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 Cool. Business pleasure. Man, we really need... Oh, God, it sucks. So, every one of these files... This is a little peek behind the curtain. Every one of these files is like about about 1.2 gigs when we finish recording because we record in like lossless quality and then we edit it down. If we have a way to pump in stuff <laughs> when we're recording it, it's like four gigs. <laughs> and there's two totally silent audio tracks. So that we could listen to our own theme music. So that we could listen to our own theme music. And it rules. Because <laughs> we've done it like once or twice. It's awesome. Oh, it yeah. makes you feel like you're podcasting. Just know that we're not hearing we're it. We're not enjoying so it. All of the goodwill and enthusiasm is... Uh, it's a, it's, it's, it's got to come from you, listeners. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Beefness or pleasure? Of course, the segment where every week... We dedicate our strong, hard, firm minds to watching our film of choice, really getting down some good notes on it, and speaking truth. Really, 
laying the pipe to <laughs> push through our wonderful thoughts on. And then take the a shit all over your ear holes. With our <laughs> gen- laying pipe is, bro. <laughs> oh, God. I think I've got to make some phone calls, yeah, man. I think you do. <laughs> Edit some contracts. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's fucking... It's what? It's fucking. What the fuck? Uh, so so every, every week we pick a movie and watch the movie and that's part of the pod. And that's the movie that we officially watch for the pod. Mm-hmm. But every now and then, Andrew. Mm. Uh, 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 I hate it when you do this. <laughs> every now and then, we also just happen to watch movies because we enjoy movies. Right. For the love of the craft. Mm. For pleasure rather than for business. I see. So that's why we call the segment for business or pleasure. Right. Because these are the movies we just watch for fun, for pleasure. This and then is afterwards, our pleasure. We watched the, well, after we watched them, we thought, oh, you know what? Mm. You know what? You know what? <laughs> I could tell my boy about that. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> okay. Appreciate that. The first movie uh, that I wanted to talk about this week is a Richard Linklater film from 2011. Oh, I yeah. watched a couple of weeks ago now called Bernie. Okay. It is a comedy drama Starring Jack Black. A dramedy? Yeah, it's more of a... I would say it's probably more... It's like a goofy drama rather than it is like a Jack Black comedy. Right. I would say it's like one of the more serious roles I've seen Jack Black do. It's great. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it's essentially... Meyerowitz a, style. Yeah, it's a bit a bit goofier than that. Um, it's, 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 it's like a... It's a... Based on a true story goofy movie. Goofy movie style. <laughs> It's based on a true story. It's based on a true story, and it is a movie about a small town in Texas where this like affable is kind of played a bit camp. This very affable, friendly dude sort of moves into town and kind of befriends the whole town, and is like friendly with everyone, and he. Uh, He's friendly with the little old ladies and all the shopkeepers and he remembers everyone's names and asks them how they're going and it's this small town and he's immediately like one of the most popular dudes in town. And this really happened like, a, like I think like 20 years ago now and he worked at like the local mortuary mm-hmm. um, and he eventually befriended like this this like rich old lady on the hill um, and gets embroiled accidentally in this in this crime that's very out of character for him. Right. And the movie is kind of about that. I think it's best to sort of not know much about where it's heading before you okay. watch it. But it's really cool. I've liked most of the Richard Linklater films that I've seen. But what's, the, what's the name of the character that you were talking about? So the name of the, the, name of the guy is Bernie Teeter. Right. Um, so that's the character played by Jack Black. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, much, it, this, this and what's the name of the film? <laughs> Bernie. Oh. B-E-R-N-I-E. Right. What's that spell? Bernie. Bernie. <laughs> spells Bernie. Bernie. <laughs> uh, I think it's really interesting. Uh, this isn't tonally the same, but like like uh, uh, Truman Show, mm. when you see a movie with an actor that's very commonly a very goofy comedic actor, to see them playing something a bit out of type, right. I think it's really interesting. This is still like a very Jack Black kind of type because it's this kind of camp, chubby, goofy dude. But... Um, it's also very sincere and very earnest in a way that you don't often see Jack Black being, and there's a lot of a lot of moments of vulnerability that I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, all in all, I don't think it was like the, one of the greatest movies I saw, but I had a lot of fun with it, and I, I didn't know much going in. I think when it was recommended to me by another podcast I listened to, they said, to, uh, "Don't really watch, don't really look up." It is based on a true story, but it's it's such Just a wild, the less you know about such it, a wild true it. story that right. I think it's best if you don't know about it. Yeah, it, it's okay. it's one of those like 
I, I feel like often people go like, oh, it's based on a true story. So no matter what, I can tell you exactly what the ending no, is and what happened. No, exactly. If I don't so, know what the true story is, don't tell yeah, me. This is one of those things where it's like, I can't fucking believe that happened. That's right. wild. So it's really cool. Um, I, I I would recommend watching it. It's fun. A lot of it is sort of told sort of half through like a like a talking head documentary kind of style where it interviews people from the town that you see in various scenes and things where it'll be like, oh, I can't, be- I can't believe Bernie did it. I would never have seen him coming. It was a lovely guy. And like, it's like, like two camera, fourth wall breaking kind of interview. Kind oh, of right. Things. Okay. I think it's really great. So that was the first movie I watched. Mm. Richard Linklater, Bernie. So that's the director of Boyhood and Yeah, but he's the, I, feel, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like Boyhood is one of like the artier kind of movies he's done. I think that he also yeah, did... Yeah, Dazed and Confused. I mean, he, he also fucking directed The School of Rock. Oh, okay. Well, there's, yeah, Dazed and Confused and School of Rock. And I think Bernie had McConaughey in it, right? Uh, yeah, but, uh, McConaughey on the front Mc- cover. Yeah, McConaughey plays like a uh, like a sheriff kind of character. Okay. Uh, I think it's good, worth watching. I think I watched it on Stan. Right. Another movie that I watched this week, and probably the last one that I'll bother talking about. Oh no, I, w- I went in on the Big Lebowski again because oh, my yeah. housemate hadn't seen it, and we both watched that, and it was fucking hilarious. Yep. I think it's like exactly my type of comedy, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's so funny. Like I would want someone that like. The Big Lebowski and The Nice Guys are two of the funniest movies yeah. that I've, like the, for me specifically. And I would just love someone to make me a list of movies that are exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, movies with this specific with this sense of humor. With this exact sense of humor because yeah. they're so dumb and I fucking love them. Yep. Um, the last movie I watched is The Beach Bum because friend of the show Pat has been obsessed with it for a little while. And it's basically uh, Matthew McConaughey playing this like... Now you sent a photo of this when you were going in. And I saw it was a photo of two characters on screen at the same time. <laughs> and I was going to respond being like, <laughs> going to tell my kids this is Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg. You know, like the joke where it's not, yeah, but it looks kind of like those people. But that is, it and is. And then I looked at it again yeah. and I was like, that's, that's just definitely Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, so, and I'm so pretty sure that's Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg has a leading role in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matthew McConaughey plays this like washed up stoner writer dude um, with like long bleach blonde hair, like, da- like down to his nips. Most incredible fashion hair. sense. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, it's great. He wears lots of like two piece suits, but the suits are like cut off shorts yeah. and jackets with like flames all over them and shit. It's great. Apparently, they had a lot of like custom design crazy outfits for Matthew McConaughey in this movie. Yeah. Um, it was a little, I don't know, it was kind of silly, but I. I I don't, it was, wasn't really the sort of movie that I find very funny at all. So I, f- I feel like uh, Pat, our friend, might have reveled in how, how silly it was. Yeah, it feels like a movie made for the irony-poisoned youth. Yeah, I, was re- I wasn't really into it. Um, do you think it's meant to be enjoyed in that ironic sense or do you think it's meant to be uh, sincere and people are like the room style making fun of the Tommy I don't. Rizzo I don't know. Writing. Like there's a scene where... It feels Matthew- like you don't cast Snoop Dogg without... No, yeah, right. But like, I don't know. There's, there's a scene where Matthew McConaughey is eating his wife out on their balcony. Sick. Uh, for like a good... It's like a, it's like three or four minutes. <laughs> three or four minutes. It's a long... It feels, it feels like a long time. And they're really getting into it. And I feel like the joke is how much they're getting into it. Right. Um... Because it's like the middle of the day and they're just on the balcony. Yeah, uh, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of scenes like that where like they're smoking a lot of weed or doing a lot of fucking. And right. I I feel like you're supposed to revel in how silly it is that they're doing this, and the, but I don't know how many layers of irony the movie's been made with. It sounds like a lot. 
Yeah, but, but Ma- Matthew McConaughey's character is basically this dude that's almost like a he he has he had once written this great American novel kind of infinite jest kind of right. thing, and has kind of married this rich wife and is now coasting. Yeah, he yeah, just yeah. like gets high and like sleeps around all day every day and like lives in this like houseboat in Miami or some shit, and like cool. Uh, yeah, and through the, the wife like dies ten minutes in just randomly and they never explain it and right. the conditions of her will are that he has to finish his second novel that he's always said he's working on in order to get the money. Oh, okay. So it's him like fucking around and like playing with like Jamaican bands and shit and like getting high and hanging with Snoop Dogg, but then also trying to like write his poetry. Right. Okay. But I didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't really find it funny. It's the sort of thing where if it's the all oh, the weed and the sexing and the smoking, if that's if that's your kind of idea of a good time, you'll like it. But I, I didn't, it didn't really turn me on. Okay. All right. Fuck me up, boy. What do you got? Um, I'll try to keep this quick. So I watched uh, this, the Melbourne International Film Festival. <laughs> you can't make this up. This would have been the 69th MIF. Fuck yeah. But <laughs> they don't want to count it as in MIF canon. And so it's the... Well, they don't want to waste their 69th on Literally. A, on a, on so it's the 68 and a half MIF. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Officially branded that. Fuck yeah! So um, so like they had something they they had an orgy planned for yeah, sixty nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just gonna be the, the climax and nymphomaniac on repeat. <laughs> so yeah, this year they streamed all of their content online. Uh, by the time this goes up, I think it'll pretty much be done. So I'll just give you a couple of examples of stuff that I really liked. It turned out they were screening a bunch of like like First Cow and Boys State were two that I really wanted to see. Yeah, First Cow's a A24 film and Boys State's the one about the political primary with the like Republican and Democratic youth candidates in America. So it was just going to be like this sycophantic perspective on these fucking disgusting politics kids like you young libs did you get to see have you seen either of those i didn't see either of those because they sold out unfortunately but but my point is that it was still a good uh still a good showing which is kind of cool and so you were saying you ended up seeing something seeing something like 10 films in the last week or something Uh, yeah so i i I will i'm working my way through them but i will have seen a fucking lot of films so that's why i'll try and keep these quick yeah cool because i think the way these film festivals work is often they show you films before they've had general release general release or any sort of distribution deal in australia yes so i feel like we can't go on too long about films that (laughs) people aren't going to be able to see for a little while no okay so i've got I'll, i'll i'll cover ones that i didn't like as much pretty quickly afterwards, but I've got two really strong recommendations that I'll make. So there's two yeah. films that I have fucking loved so far. One of them is uh, Black Bear, directed by uh, Lawrence Michael Levine, uh, starring Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, and Sarah Gadon. Gaden? Gadon? Whatever. <laughs> um, it is a film about... It's kind of hard to describe what it's about because it is maybe the 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 film style that's most typified by like it's better off not knowing anything about it before you go in right. but the actual i suppose premise for the first like 5 minutes of the film is that Aubrey Plaza plays a film director who's booked this Airbnb retreat writers retreat for herself the couple that owns the Airbnb is staying there at the same time she ends up having dinner with them and kind of like is a bit of a third wheel as they have a bit of an argument she sort of formed this like little kind of cute connection with the uh, husband character there and there's a bit of a like there's a bit of turbulence as like the night progresses and then some shit happens and then stuff really goes wrong (laughs) and 
uh, that sort of takes you through to the halfway point of the film, and then the film does one of the biggest like 180s that I've ever seen a film do. It completely, really fucking takes, takes a turn. Takes a turn you wouldn't expect, uh, but not like a 180 degree turn. Not a physical like a, turn in, like in reality, but like yeah, like a like a literary or a narrative turn, if you will. Right. Um, I thought it was... A turn you can uh, measure in minutes, not <laughs> degrees, baby. I think one of the strengths of this film is uh, it's incredibly well written, especially in the first part. Uh, I thought it was a really cleverly written, uh, awkward conversation where it wasn't like... It wasn't awkward in a heightened way. It was uncomfortable in a very realistic and muted wasn't way. Wasn't like a Yorgos Lanthimos no, bullshit. No, 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 no. They're speaking very naturally, but the arguments that they're having are very like realistic. The way that the couple kind of like... Um, correct each other all the time or Sniping snipe at each other. Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's really... Ugh. But not not trying... Almost like they're not trying to. Almost like they just don't give a shit about each other enough to not do that. <laughs> it's it's really good. So, I, I words that I've used to describe it are uh, it's tense, it's stressful, but it's also funny. It's quite meta in terms of its commentary on the creative process uh, in Aubrey Plaza's role as a director. So is it one of those um, sort of small-scale dramas that feels like, for the most part, it could have been like a play or something? It's very theatrical in that way. There's yeah. like, uh, for the first half of the film, there's really only those three characters. Yeah, And right. so, yes, in some ways it does feel very theatrical and it is quite that drama, but then the second half of the film, it there are parts of it that are deeply, deeply funny. Dying really to, funny. I'm dying to know what this fucking yeah, twist is. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell movie. you because um, you should really watch it. And it's also like look forward to 2022 when I'll be able to watch it. <laughs> I think it's going to be uh, it's going to hit a special sweet spot with um, like filmmakers uh, for a couple of different reasons. <laughs> People who it's, love zombie apocalypse. No, it's nothing so shitty. That's <laughs> the, that's what that's what makes it so exciting for me is that it's. A I really swear to God, if, if or replies or is a character in a video game. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, it's really uh, yeah. It's really fresh and uh, <laughs> it sounds cool. I really liked it. Um, yeah, it's a bold narrative choice. It's not like any, any other films I've watched. So I I loved it. The performances are really incredible. Really incredible. I haven't um, seen Aubrey Plaza in much stuff. I think she's cast perfectly in this movie. Yeah? I think she's cast really perfectly because the character's meant to be one of those characters that won't, like, won't, is very dry, very quiet, very reserved. A little bit awkward. Keeps a lot of thought. Mm, yeah, yes, but not because she doesn't, not because she wants to act in an appropriate fashion and is failing right. to. Just like she doesn't buy into the, way that people behave yeah you right. know um she and she's meant to be pretty detached and a little bit like psychopathic so i think she's very well cast in this and so are the other two but also the range that all of the characters are required to play in this film is massive and they all nail it uh, i wish i could watch it yeah, yeah right. it's really good so that that should get a general release pretty soon it's big names it's a big director so at the very least i'd hope that it goes up on streaming says or whatever cool black bear black bear yeah also the other recommendation that i have is corpus christi this is a film about... I'll read the letterbox description for this one. A pious 20-year-old juvenile delinquent is sent to work at a sawmill in a small town. On arrival, he dresses up as a priest and accidentally takes over the local parish. <laughs> the arrival of this young charismatic preacher is an opportunity for the local community to begin the healing process after a tragedy that happened a year prior. This, Ooh. directed by Jan Komasa, it's from... That sounds a bit uh, like There Will Be Blood or something. It's from Poland. No, it's not. Uh, I, Poland, I understand understand. That I understand the comparison there, but this is a very... 
kind of at points like hopeful film in a way that there will be blood just isn't. It's not going. I feel like it's not going for the same shit as Paul Thomas Anderson is. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, the, the the actual film is more interesting than the premise itself. I think the performance of the lead characters... This was nominated for uh, Best International Picture at the Oscars last year. Yeah, it's right. extremely good. It's one of the most interesting scripts that I've seen in a really long time. One of my favorite movies this year. Both of these movies are one of my favorite movies this year. The performance by Bartos Bielena, Bielena uh, as the, the lead called Daniel uh, is one of the most... One of the strongest performances I've seen this year, if not in years in a film. He is so expressive through his eyes. There's so little dialogue that needs to happen for you to know exactly what he's feeling. And there's such nuance communicated through that. He's got these like big blue haunting eyes. Yeah, right. um, it's hard to... I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of articulating why it's so interesting. But no, the way that is it like really well shot or is it sorry, characters it's, it's are really beautifully engaging? beautifully shot or and beautifully lit. One of the most interestingly shot films. Uh, the, just the use of color is really fascinating. Like, like a very impressionistic um, kind of thing? It's not... It doesn't feel like it should be. It's naturalistic, but in a way that is so much more interesting than most like naturalistic films are. For example, at one point I noticed that there was a desk lamp and a window outside and that the light from the desk lamp was green and the window outside was slightly tinted purple and <laughs> then there was also like an orange halogen glow coming in. Which so is like their white balance, mate. That's all no, that is. No, but that's the thing. It looks really great but you've got like these interesting like tones coming through in the light yeah, and it right. also sometimes is very blue and brooding and sometimes is very bright and colourful like that so it kind yeah. of matches the look of the film the cinematography is fantastic. It matches the look of the film to the emotion very, very well. The performance is great. The script is really interesting. It's also very funny at points. Uh, the editing was really snappy. <laughs> really wonderful film. There's a reason why it was nominated for Best International Picture. Yeah, cool. That came out in 2019. Once again, that is Corpus Christi. Uh, its actual name was... Um, ah, good luck. Boze Cialo. Yeah, and what is but that, it's Polish? Under, yeah, but, uh, uh. Or, or maybe French, but I think it's under Corpus Christi anywhere that you'll find it. Hopefully that gets a general release. Both of these are worth watching. Yeah, um, right. Okay. I feel like Palace Cinema often buys up a lot of these like international films. I think Palace distributed Corpus Christi. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, hopefully they, they get it on DVD or something because um, yeah. both of those are really great. The other one that I, I'll quickly go over is that I watched a documentary called City So Real. I'm not much of a documentary guy. Sorry, City So Real is the documentary. Well, I feel like we've done this before, but I feel like one of the big problems with good documentaries is that you don't know much about them going in. Right. I think I have a lot of fun watching documentaries where I don't know much about the topic at all and it really sells it to me. Mm. But then the problem, the trap there is I'm never going to watch a documentary about some shit that I don't really know why it's interesting. Because yeah, you just have to take... If someone says, this documentary is really good, you yeah. just have to trust yeah. them that it's really it's good. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. it, it's always like, oh, it's about a, like an avocado salesman from San Francisco. Right, and it's and like, well, like, obviously that's not going to get a recommendation <laughs> unless it's a really good documentary, right? Yeah. Um, so this is uh, the this is a series it's four episodes long each episode is about an hour what's it called city so real right. and it's about the uh 2018 or 19 chicago mayoral election and it w- it reminded me a lot of the democratic uh presidential primary this year in that there were like 20 fucking candidates and so like everyone is kind of deciding who they're going to vote for and like there's just these ridiculous amounts of people in the field and so this follows a few of the more popular and a few of the less well-known candidates 
uh, through their journey to try and like garner political favor. And it basically looks at the process of Chicago's mayoral elections, which is like most processes in America to do with politics, completely fucking stupid is and broken. Sh- is Chicago's process different to other I cities? think states all have their own processes, man, yeah, because they all do it on a state-based level. Just right. like in some states you have a caucus for the Democratic primary and in some states oh, you I just barely, have a normal vote if, in election. If they didn't explicitly explain it in the West Wing, I don't know. Right. So, like, some places in America, if you want to vote for your presidential nominee for your party, you have to stand in certain places in the room to vote. <laughs> And then someone goes up and manually tallies the shit. It's so fucking archaic. Right. And it's, it's similar to this. So, so like, this documentary... In order to... Uh, like, really quickly, because this is actually interesting. In order to get nominated to be on the ballot for the Chicago mayoral election, you have to get enough signatures that they're willing to put you on the ballot, right? Which means... Before the election starts, you have to go out and get enough signatures in a petition for people to say, yeah, I believe in you enough that I think you should be able to be voted for. Right. And so... What happens then is these candidates all go out, they all gather signatures for ages, trying to get enough, and then they hand their signatures into the city and they say, here you go, this is enough signatures for me to be on the ballot. Then any candidate can dispute any other candidate's signatures legitimacy, specifically on a signature-by-signature level. And so what happens is... so you would just dispute them all, right? Yes. (laughs) So one candidate sits on uh, either side of a bureaucrat from the city and... They just go with a ruler on the page down the list and every and th- they'll just submit like this scattergun, like oh, we have a problem with these 5,000 signatures. We think they're illegitimate. And it's totally random to the point where like often they will have selected lines that aren't filled in or the signatures don't exist because they didn't get that far in the document or whatever. They just but, make shit up and submit that. And so, but they have to be treated legitimately. And that, then yeah, fuck. Th- the public servant can overrule the... Dis, uh, the dispute and just say like no that looks fine to me I, I'm 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 overruling that I'm, I'm a objection expert bro it gets there okay so, so, that so they th- can so overrule do they, do you it sign so and then print your name you, or is you it give, they so just... you give your name and address and sign right and they'll say the person who's disputing the signature will say I we looked up in the um, voter Role oh, and that person doesn't. And that person doesn't live there. This is covered in like three minutes. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean the movie. I mean, like, imagine if that the was process. your job to check. I know, but and everyone, and people all, everyone knows it's dumb. So everyone's getting frustrated and heated about it. And there's points where people are like, "I know you're just doing this to tie me in circles. I know you're just doing this. I know you believe that that signature is legitimate, and you're just doing it to fuck with me." So it's up to and the w- candidate to prove that it's a correct signature well, so what happens is the candidate says i don't I, I dispute the legitimacy the public servant goes no that looks fine to me and all the facts are correct so that one's getting ticked off from me and then the candidate goes i object to that ruling then the signature goes to a handwriting expert who looks at the signature <laughs> oh, and will individually assess the legitimacy of every single one and to the point where there are fo- like f- clear fuck-ups at every step of the way to the point where a handwriting expert is shown to have disputed and uh, considered illegitimate one of the candidate's own mother's signature and she voted right. for him she wrote in the petition like next to him and he's like, they've ruled that my mum's signature is not a real signature. Where she's like, obviously he'd get his he'd, yeah. he'd get his actual mum. Right. And so what happens is what yeah, and she's there on tape talking about it, being like, Yes, of course I fucking signed it. Right. You know, yeah. So it's just like to the that point cool. it's so ridiculous. And, and so what th- it's doing is it's looking at the problems that America experiences through this 
slightly narrowed lens of the Chicago mayoral election. Right. Because so much of Chicago is black-dominated, so much of Chicago is white-dominated, and just population-wise. And um, the problems and the attitudes and the beliefs that are held by so many of the people are reflective of politics at a federal level and the social issues that people experience at a federal level. One of the interesting examples of that is in that handwriting dispute bullshit, if you're a rich candidate, you pay someone to go to the office and sort that shit out for you while you keep working on your mayoral platform. Right, but if, if you're yeah, a poor candidate, you, to get your own you have to go there and sit there for like fucking a month and work through all this bullshit dispute red tape shit and so the poor candidates all get left behind at that stage while the rich candidates keep <laughs> keep doing electoralism right yeah fuck. And, yeah so it's looking at that type of how That's those so issues emerge it is a really interesting documentary so that was once again city so real directed by steve james came out this year and what is it on netflix or what that was through the myth unfortunately oh, fuck you. so, so uh, hopefully that's up <laughs> I, I, all of this stuff is, fr- is uh, through the but that is you. You, I would strongly urge people to uh, look that up and catch it if you can get all those those three movies. I will say this: if you can get them legitimately, pay for them when you can. But that last one's not a movie; it's a TV series. No, no, it's a, well, it's a documentary, but it's just long form. It's in four episodes. God um, damn it. Get this stuff through illegitimate means if you can at the moment because you can't pay for it in Australia. There's just no way to get it. So I think ethically pay for it when you can, but up until then, there's no way and you should just try and get it uh, other ways. Right. All right, really quickly, I also watched uh, Cusipan by Miriam Verio. That's a film about uh, Quebec, French-Canadian Innu people and it's like a, a really nice coming-of-age story. Um, looks great, great performances, actually a good script for a coming-of-age story, which I wasn't expecting, so I really <laughs> enjoyed that one. Uh, and last night, I watched... What, oh, do you even like remember the, the name of no, that? I watched the first... Yeah. You, you sent me four clips, I watched the first clip and got bored halfway through it and thought, I'm not watching any more of this. Yeah, <laughs> God. Because then all your messages were like, look how slow these look how slow these clips are. It's so Instead fucked of the most up. boring fucking movie on the planet. It's really, really fucked up. I'm going to have to find the title, sorry. Okay, so yeah, I watched uh, Vitalina Varela, directed by Pedro Costa. What this dude does is he makes <laughs> incredible looking movies that look like they were hand painted, the way that he lights. So he uses lighting in this really interesting way. What do you mean hand painted? I really mean that it looks like a painting. I can't, I've, it's the most painting like I've ever seen real things look because he, right. he'll light in a way that everything is shrouded in darkness other than what he hits with light. And so you end up getting these like really textured, like the walls look like they're made of oil on canvas. You know what I mean? Like it's really hyper textural. People's skin has this beautiful like right. uh, handcrafted quality to all of it. And he lights very specifically, extremely stylistically. All of, There's so much silence. There's very sparse dialogue, very sparse story. Uh, yeah, right. And um, m- fuck, it was hard to watch. I, it sounds like he it could, was, he could be like the director of photography on a better movie. I think his DP well. is a genius. Like I really think that his cinematographer is fucking incredible, and I I I'd give it like four stars out of five for pushing the medium. Mad respect for it. It is the cinematic equivalent of walking through an art gallery, and I yeah, worked right. a big shift, and I did not fucking feel like doing that. Yeah. So. 
I was 20 minutes from the end runtime of the film. I had been on my phone for like 40 minutes <laughs> at that point in time and I just turned it off and started watching Trailer Park Boys. Fuck yeah, bro. <laughs> Which right. is the exact opposite <laughs> media. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Vitalina Varela, it's out of um, uh, Portugal, I think. Yeah, and, right. uh God, yeah. It'll push boundaries and it, this it's... This director's done other stuff kind of like it. Uh, from what I understand, it's an amazing auto, semi-autobiographical performance by a non-professional actor in the, uh, right. the lead called Vitalina Varela. Well, I look forward to watching half of it and then being uh, dude, on my phone I, for the other half honestly, of it probably in 2023. I wouldn't even recommend trying to go in on that I'm, one unless it is very specifically the type of film that you're, into, you're in the mood to watch. I'm so upset for getting all stuck into that fucking documentary. That it's I'm so good. Watch. Really watch that documentary if you can. City So Real so, might be the one with the most oh broad appeal. Somehow I thought that because you were talking about now a four-part documentary series that it was going to be Netflix sorry. and then you were like, myth. I'm like, ah, that's right, we're talking about the myth. Fuck. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> ah, I sold you on it. Fucker. Yeah, well, if I can get it, then ugh, whatever. Yeah. that's That was Beef No So Pleasure. Beef No So Pleasure. That was that. Uh, I'm watching these in order of good to bad on Letterboxd, so um, I probably won't have too many more (laughs) strong recommendations. That fucking Vitalina Varela one was like right at the top. (laughs) I was watching it, and as soon as I realized it was like 20 minutes in and no one had talked, I was like, oh. Okay, so you're watching... Oh, right. Yeah, I thought you meant like a chat. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the movie's very quiet. Yeah, yeah. But next week, I might have watched a whole bunch of less engaging films. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, we'll now you should have spaced him out a bit. Yeah. I look forward to next week hearing that you have watched 10 terrible fucking movies <laughs> yeah. in a row. God, I was looking up some of them that are on my list and some of them are like, they look actually mediocre and I'm like, good. Yeah, I fuck. don't have to worry about watching that oh one God. either. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Should we get cool. into Let's shoplifters Let's get into then? shoplifters. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. So this is a movie, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a, a Japanese movie that came out a few years ago in cinemas actually and I had missed it when it came yeah, I really wanted to see it as well when yeah. it came out, and I just didn't get around to it, so I'm so glad we've gone back in. I remember a friend of the show, Mary, I think it was back then, saying that it was very good. Mm. So I'm glad I got back to go and watch it. It's directed by Hirokatsu Koreeda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes for 121 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially... Lost a sneaky hundred there. <laughs> it's essentially about this, this family... Uh, you want me to read the letterbox description? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. After one of their shoplifting sessions, Osamu and his son come across a little girl in the freezing cold. At first, reluctant to shelter the girl, Osamu's wife agrees to take care of her after learning of the hardships she faces. Although the family is poor, barely making enough money to survive through petty crime, they seem to live happily together until something happens. And uh, there's a... <laughs> I read a uh, spoiler. If you Google this movie, the preview that comes up is like a semi-spoiler for halfway through the film. And I was right. like, great. What the <laughs> fuck? And I was looking up Letterbox, and it came up and like two minutes later in the runtime that happened. And I was like, yeah. oh, that would have been a big emotional beat, I bet. <laughs> well, there's a, Fucking there's a, sucks. There's a bit about uh, the dynamic of the family in this movie that I'm not sure whether it's a spoiler or not. Yeah, I think it kind of is, right? Yeah. So, well, so, so basically, yeah, it's this poor family in Tokyo. They find a young girl that's been like kicked out of her home and her parents are clearly like fighting and beating. It's freezing and cold and she's sitting outside by herself and they're like... What the fuck is going on here? So they take her home, mm. uh, and they they're, they're kind of like, and then she sort of stays with them, and they're kind of like, uh, it go like weeks go on, and they go to give her back, and that's when they get to the house that she lives in, where they got her from, 
out the front of. Yeah. And there's like this roaring argument going on between her parents inside where they're like, I never fucking wanted her. And the other one's like, well, I never fucking wanted her either. We shouldn't have had her. It was a huge fucking mistake. And yeah, there's like clear domestic like, abuse Ugh. or something like, well, maybe we'll just keep her until this all blows over. <laughs> and it's very clear that they're like, there's not going to be a better time. No. And, but but that it, they know that it's kind of wrong to just leave her in that situation again. So the first the first sort of half an hour of the movie is basically them dealing with this weird problem. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like that they sort of get like three weeks into having this girl with them and they're like, hey, have we, have we kidnapped this girl? Yeah, right. <laughs> they have to actually have this conversation where they're like, no, no, it's not kidnapping. And they're like, it fucking absolutely is kidnapping. <laughs> they're like, you took a child and didn't tell anyone. That's kidnapping. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're being nice to them. It's still kidnapping. Um, yeah. Something that I noticed straight away in this movie is, we were talking about sort of uh, naturalistic versus impressionistic yeah. sort of styles before. This film feels very natural. Yes, I, I felt extremely. like it was very... Um, and I suppose what I mean by that is there's not like it's not like you know crazy purples and pinks and greens. It's barely and shit. stylized it, at all. It feels like it's like a, yeah, it feels like they're shooting sort of just normal real life. Yeah, actually, the the way that uh, City So Real looked and this looked are mm. kind of similar. Like right. it, it's a well shot. It looks almost like a well shot documentary in Japan. Yeah, yeah. so like very flat color color grading and like a very natural feel to all the lighting yeah. and it makes the, all the all the, the lighting and the colors being very very sort of flat and natural makes the film feel very honest and it its doesn't portrayal look of flat it just looks very realistic yeah it's I not s- like I it looks boring right yeah no i, I suppose yeah. it, just, it just looks the, the lighting and everything being very sort of realistically presented mm. uh i suppose it like it adds to the the feeling that the film is a very honest depiction of daily life yeah like it's meant sort of, to be very believable yeah you sort of feel like you're getting a window into what their life is like mm. and then I think that sort of somehow inherently even though these characters are like criminals it's mm. you sort of like are endeared to them yeah you've well, got this little window yeah. into their lives they have a very understanding way of going about life even though understand sorry understandable way of going about life even though yeah, yeah what they're doing is like technically criminal yeah and i heard someone i think it was mark commode was talking about the the director um has often asked this question of like no no i think it was a different review but someone uh, he said i i've never understood why people get so annoyed about crimes like um a wife continuing to get her husband's pension after he's dead or something like that just these crimes where it's like what kind of what the fuck else are they going to do? You know? Yeah. Like, there's clearly some uh, societal issue that's causing this person this problem, but people get so, like, finger-pointingly angry at the person that's doing the thing. And so I think that might have been the seed of why all of their criminal activity is so sympathized with. Yeah, you know? and it's all these people are also in like a shit situation, and I yeah. feel like some it's it's interesting watching it sort of them sort of yeah the, the, the a lot of the the, the 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 father and young sons are just shoplifting a lot of the time. And right. Sometimes it's for their own like necessity, and then sometimes like I think there's a point where he steals fishing rods so he can go and like sell the fishing rods, and you're like, all right, mate. <laughs> like, yeah. At, at some point, I no longer feel. Like it's justified to some degree. It's right. not. It's not like oh, a little white lie kind of crime. And it, yeah. it, it explores the ins and outs of that a little bit, where the um, like a, like a shopkeeper catches this kid stealing and by like by like giving him something. For the kid's free. like teaching the young girl to steal. Yeah, and he's like, don't make her do it. Yeah, he's like he like gives gives them the food that he just watched them steal. Yeah, and yeah. Like, there you go. How does that feel? 
getting it for free. You like yeah. that? Yeah. Th- the only reason I wanted to clarify that this film doesn't look flat or boring is because um, I agree that it's very naturalistic, but I love the way that and a lot of things that are said in Japan, I love the way they make Japan look. Yeah. And this is a particularly interesting part of Japan because it's not that kind of like hyper, like Shibuya district, hyper kind of like infrastructural blinding neon lights It looks like everywhere. it was like 30 years ago. I it love looks like the, the way parts. that this looks. It's so in, it's so like residential, industrial. It mm. looks like you're out in the fucking sticks and because my, you are. My, my very limited experience being there a few years ago, a lot of it does look like that. Yeah, I know. I like love it, the way it looks, man. Yeah. There's such verticality to the city. Like there's so many, there's so many interesting shots that are done in this where like they're up on a a catwalk or a walkway and there's stuff happening above them and below them and it's just the city going on around them basically. Yeah. That is very much the way that where their house is feels as well. It's sort of this little tiny suburban, not shack, but like pretty basic house. And it's kind of dwarfed by all the stuff around Everything around around it it is taller, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely meant to feel like they have been kind of left behind, I think, by the development of everything else that's gone on around them. Um, which I think yeah. is, yeah, one of the core themes is just, as you said, this family is a band of, of like, outcasts of misfits. And o- obviously the turning point of the film is, like, they can't keep living like this. Like, something has to give and yeah. something ends up giving. And so it's a bit of a spoiler what ends up giving. But um, there's an event or a thing that happens that means that, yes, the way of life that they have been yeah. sustaining themselves on is fundamentally disrupted. Well, and that's what's I, interesting. I feel like with the first 15 minutes of the film, nothing much happens. Like There's not even very much soundtrack or score. Yeah. It's literally just like the ambient sounds of the city and you watch these people live their life. And so then when they go and pick up this girl and take her home and mm. they're like, have we kidnapped this girl? You're like, all right, this is what the movie's about. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because yep. before that you're like nothing is nothing's really fucking happening here. Yeah, and I think that is it. It does like it's very deliberately paced because it sort of does lull you into this like step by step thing where they they don't mean to kidnap her. They like she's out in the freezing cold, and mm. they clearly think like oh well, we'll we'll just take her and then we'll figure out how to get her back. It's almost like later. a natural. Yeah, they uh, give her food because she's hungry. Yeah, they give her clothes, and then they're like, well, it's late. She can just sleep here and then we'll yeah. take her back tomorrow. It's almost like a real back. world Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then the, the, they go back the next day and some shit's going really wrong. And they're like, mm. well, now's not a good time. And then it's yeah. too, it's been too long. And so like, well, we can't give her back now because they'll arrest <laughs> us. And so yeah. the solution is obviously cut her hair, put different clothes on her. The just pre- family hasn't reported that she's, she's missing. Out. So just <laughs> pretend like it's not that kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, that then like they... that. This I'd say the middle like the middle quarter of the film before that turn is like them hospi- uh, I- incorporating this kid into their lives. Yeah, and then showing how like there's a little bit of jealousy between the boy, like almost like growing pains between the boy Shoda and Yuri, the young girl, where he's like he he's was like the eight focus and before. she's like four. Yeah, and it's like having a younger sibling all of a sudden, right? Where he's like, I used to be your center of attention, now I'm not anymore. So he's angry about that. Um, yeah. And I think, like, before we get into any spoiler territory, we can talk about a, a few of the themes that this movie really explores. Because I feel like that's one of the things that, um, naturalistically, he clearly is trying to be very, like, thoughtful about... I, I don't feel like I'm articulating myself very well, sorry. I think the themes in this film are, like, 
family and what it is to be family and what it means yeah, to absolutely. actually be family and how family interacts with being part of a society on a larger scale and how like that can be protective of that or sometimes that can yeah. be uh, that can be a point of friction in how your how you want to be with your family versus what society thinks that your family should be and that type of thing um there's also, I mean, it also goes uh, almost down the path of, and sorry, one of the key ways that I feel that uh, has been done before is in like the Captain Fantastic style storyline where someone wants yeah. to live away from society and off the grid. This family kind of does that a little bit, but there's not that same sense of like wrongdoing in those people. That's more like, look how society doesn't want to, wants to put people in boxes and isn't happy when people don't fit in boxes. Well, uh, this yeah, does that too, but they're also doing stuff wrong. This, <laughs> Yeah, this movie does a lot of that where it's, it's it's almost like, aside from the shit they're doing wrong, like mm. why why do you care about the way we live our lives? And yeah. w- what right does the larger society have to dictate the way we live our lives? And it, it goes back on like what what you define as family and yeah. who are family and what yeah. what counts as because then th- this this family almost becomes like a surrogate family for this young girl that doesn't want to go back to yeah. her parents yeah um, and on a macro level it's also then explores or sorry on a micro level it explores like specifically like motherhood and like grandmotherhood and what the the maternal relationships in a family and then it explores through the father and the, the young boy like fatherhood and what that kind of means yeah um and so it, it, it actually is kind of incredible that it, despite not being slowly paced, because it's not, I mean, it's two hours, it's not a really long movie, it manages to get in so many little, like, slices of these little, like, insights into how this family works. Yeah, I really, I really, really enjoy interesting. it. Yeah. yeah, and it's really interesting watching these different characters interact with each other and the way they love each other and the way they show their love to each other. Yeah. In a way where... Um, you become really invested in it. And mm. when, um, yeah, I don't know, when they sort of have to end up justifying the way that they sort of have been behaving, have, have been yeah. behaving you sort of go, yeah, but they're all, you know. It's, everyone's it's, fine. It, everyone's fine. It's all fine. Leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely. It's And I felt the same way in like Leave No Trace. I was like, these people just want to leave their fucking lives, live yeah. their fucking lives. Leave them alone. Yeah. So, Live you No Trace mean? and uh, Mr. Fa- uh, Captain Fantastic Captain are two Fantastic, yeah. movies we did ages ago now that were both surrounding like families that live in the woods in the middle of nowhere that yeah, get and caught up to by don't the government. Wanna, yeah, exactly. And so, th- you know, it's things like I'm homeschooling my kid and, and the government isn't particularly happy with the way that they're going about doing it. Yeah. It's like verging on that libertarian argument, but not yeah. quite being that shitty and also has no qualms about the age of consent. I, I, I really liked the all of the performances in this film and I feel like one of the ways that... Um, so you get to see all of the ways that the family relates to each other. And I mean, it's almost like every... I always think of it in the way that like there's that diagram, how many handshakes yeah. it takes to shake everyone's hand in a circle. You get to see like grandma, son, grandma, daughter, grandma, father, and like every... Those, those all feel uniquely distinct. Yeah. And I think that comes through very strongly through the performances. Also the writing, but each character feels so embodied. Like the the father is um at at the start he's kind of that hapless loser father character, which I always find really endearing. And he's a bit of a dirt uh, yeah, he's a bit like a, he's a bit like Adam Sandler's character from the Meyerwitz stories kinda Yeah, yeah. Oh uh, maybe not. Maybe I don't know. not. Yeah. I'm trying to 
maybe I just maybe I you heard a hapless loser and I thought oh, Adam Sandler. No, I don't know. Yeah, he, he's a bit of like a dirtbag goof, goofball kind of hopeless kind of dude at the start almost. Is the um the dad in Parasite is a little bit like that, isn't he? I suppose so. Yeah, I think all the characters bit, in Parasite. Yeah, are a, bit a little like bit. That. But then that the, they end up. Eh, it's maybe maybe similar in in a in a few. I hadn't really. Tried to map those two onto each other in my head, but um, yeah. it, it definitely shares a bit of similarity but with that. I like I like how loving and tender. Um, can, can we, I think we should verge into some some sort of more thematic spoilers of the sort of middle half of the movie. Then, yeah, um, sure. I like how. So this is your warning. <laughs> so it, you sort yeah, of yeah, def, definite spoilers. Although I, I think you could probably listen to this and still enjoy. Yeah, I, I sort of had it. I think I accidentally read in a synopsis somewhere that these people aren't really family. Yeah, I know. So yeah. that's the big bit that's an inter- interesting to find out is that basically... Oh, the spoiler on Google was that the fucking son gets arrested. Yeah, that's a and huge I, spoiler. Yeah, and I, it was just... It's in the first result oh, that's on a, that's Google. That's a very late yeah, spoiler. Oh, I didn't think we mentioned that. No, it's not <laughs> yeah. a late spoiler. It's like yeah, halfway okay. through. but And that's what causes them to all... That's what causes the realization that they're not all family members, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, well, I see. I knew from quite early on because I, I read it on Google. So, like, ba- basically, right. so the family is a husband and wife, and a grandma, and an older daughter, and then the two young kids. One of which yeah. is the young girl, but none of them are really related. Yes, the husband and wife are a husband and wife. The old lady is this random old lady who they're living with because she gets pension. I don't even checks. know if they are husband and wife, right? I think. They were in love at some point, but they didn't. I think they didn't get married. There's the connection they're between definitely some sort of the romantic. old partner of one of them. Yeah, there's some. There's some sort of couple. Yeah, I think she, the wife, the wife used to be one of these hostesses at a hostess bar, right? And he was a client. Oh, okay. I missed a a few of the key connections in this. In this structure, yes. So there's the basically that there's a husband and wife who are for whatever, however rigidly it's defined, they're in a relationship. Yeah. There's the old woman who owns this little house that used to be her husband. The husband's now dead, so they're basically just mooching off this old woman by living in her house. Mm. Um, there's this young boy Shota who's about seven or eight, and he doesn't. He's not the kid of anyone. He's like a runaway yeah. kid that they have basically just adopted in the same way that they have now adopted the little girl. Yeah. Um, and then there is this uh, young woman who it turns out is the actual granddaughter of the old woman. Right. They're the only two that are actually related. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why uh, the old woman goes to mooch money off her uh, son-in-law and like this like rich young... Uh, of her son-in-law is because the her granddaughter is their daughter... Uh no, her yeah, and they know that they suspect that like their daughter is living with the grandmother, and so they give they give the grandmother money so that she can keep the daughter alive. Oh okay, it is that right. It that was that. another one that I misunderstood. And so they they sort of know they sort of don't know that their war- their daughter is like in the sex trade now. I guess right. It's kind of weird. It's kinda, it's all a bit all a bit strange. Uh in- yeah, they think she's they they like think she's in inverted commas she's overseas. Or something. She's yeah. on, a, on a gap here. It's this like don't ask, don't tell thing yeah. where they think their daughter is with the grandma, and the grandma's like, "So how's your daughter doing?" And they're like, "Yeah, oh, she's on a gap here in Australia." And the grandma's like, "Oh, she must be having a great time." Meanwhile, right. she's like sleeping in her shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess, and if you've so if you've seen it, then 
it's probably driving it's you crazy annoying, for us to yeah. run through all of it. If you haven't seen it, you ba- should ba- still go and watch it. But the point is... Basically, they have a weird relationship and no one's related to each other. No one's actually related to each other. But they get along really well. Exactly. And they but act they like a family. family. And so then when, it's they, when so they that, sort that, of then... That's the core linchpin of the point of the film, which is like, you is it better to choose your family or is there some inherent meaning for the family that you were born into? Yeah, and so the young girl... Uh, is was like beaten and like burnt with like an iron. Oh, that's chip. right. That's how. Yeah, she, she that's one of the things that gives them pause. Yeah. Is they know she was abused. She has scars all over her body yeah. from being abused by her actual parents. And the government at some point wants to take her back to her actual parents. Right. And like, why the fuck would you do that? This 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 family of delinquents is clearly better. And Shota doesn't even know his parents because they took him from a yeah, car he was too that they were trying remember. to steal yeah. at the time and he was too young to even remember his parents and so he has a much more strong bond with this his with like this family, his yeah. like uh, surrogate family than he ever would with his actual family yeah. and then because of the way you've seen them all bond I think it's a really interesting exploration of that idea of like what counts as family and yeah. what what role yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like an interesting ethical dilemma almost when like the government comes in and wants to put everything right. It's like, well, mm. is that better? And I think one of the hardest things that this film has to contend with, I'm not sure it nailed it 100%, but I'm not sure it ever could have. So maybe it got it as good as you could possibly with like and be as satisfying as possible by yeah. the time you've tied all these loose ends up. It's not the same answer for all the characters. No. Because like I personally feel that what happens in the end with Shota is better than what happens yeah, to Yuri. Yeah, because they were stopping him going to school, so he gets to go to school now. Right. He gets to have, like, a stable, and safe... Uh, the, you know, one of the conversations... That, sorry, yeah. Yeah, that was it. He has to have, like, a stable, safe life rather than this sort of life shoplifting and shit. Right, and one of the conversations they have to explore that, which is also, you know, trying to convince him, is he's like, you, I don't need to go to school. You don't learn anything good at school. And they're like, there's some stuff that you have to learn in school that you can't learn elsewhere, like growing up with other kids and that type of stuff. Like you need to go to school for that type of shit. And it's good that yeah. it wasn't just this attitude of like, you got to learn to you do math. To to do math. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's like, no, fuck that. That's not really what's important, especially at his age. Yeah. But what's important at his age is that he's around other kids, which he's not at the moment. He has yeah. no friends. So yeah, yeah, and, and it's kind of like a bitter ending because uh, so he goes that to live end, with, like, the, uh, with that last bit with his fucking with the dad is fucking brutal. And that was the bit I wanted to sort of spoil to get back to is that yeah. I, I like how earnestly the dad just wants to be Shota's dad. Yeah, well they both so the, the him and the mum because like she's uh, infertile. She, yeah, she can't have kids, and so like she. Part of the thing that gets explored later on is like, well, did they keep the kids because they really thought that they were doing the right thing or like, did they really just want to play parent? Yeah. And they couldn't. And so like, you know, that's one of the reasons. Because like, that's not a good reason to keep a kid. A good reason to keep a kid is if you're going to give them a better life experience in their current situation, but you mm. can't articulate that. I think they, I think they wanted, I think they were worried about the, the safety of the girl. Probably. I suppose in the short term. But this yeah. it's both, right? And then, yeah. uh, you know, also, yeah, it probably made them feel really good to occupy the roles of parents. Yeah. And they were, in a way. They were, like, and I think that's one of the key questions is, like, what the fuck is a parent? Like, yeah. do you have to, you don't, and I think it, at one point, one of the characters even, like, asks a question is, like, what do you think being a mother is? Do you think 
giving birth makes you a mother. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I don't think it does really. Yeah, um, and, and the, the police is like, well, actually it does. That's what it is. And Right, uh, and you, it's like, you, well, that's such a one-dimensional view of this problem. That's a really interesting... Uh, maybe that was the, bit I, the thing I forgot that I meant to write down. Just mm. Yeah, just that idea of like challenging the idea of what it is to be a parent and what, yeah. it, is, what it is to... Yeah, th- these people have developed such a strong bond with, sh- with the, the, these two small children. Right. I think it's so lovely how much... Uh, and it's sort of a bit heartbreaking how much um, the father character just wants to be Shota's dad. Yeah. Wants, wants him to call him dad. Yeah, right. And he keeps trying to get him to. And, right, because that's one of the things that happens very early on and is you don't realize at the time, but it's signposting that they're not related where he's trying to get him to call him dad or mom or something. Yeah, and he says, no, it's too and early. I don't want yeah, to. and you're like, oh, okay, maybe he's just got a weird emotional relationship with his dad, but it's yeah. like, no, they're not. It's not his dad. <laughs> Always yeah. stupid. And he was like, how about you call me dad? And Shota's like, no, you're not my dad. And we're like, language barrier related. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. So then at the end of the movie where after Shota's been living in this like foster home for a month, for like a couple of weeks, he goes back and meets up with the old, the, his old crime, they hang out, his old yeah. crime dad again and they <laughs> hang out and go fishing or whatever. Yep. Um, and the oh, mum's in prison. That yeah, that was wild. And th- yeah. I thought that was just so gut wrenching. Just like seeing these people getting what is technically like what they had coming to them. Mm. But you you find yourself thinking like oh, I I don't, I sort of don't feel like maybe they deserve that. No, and the movie's sort so of pulls, good at yeah pulls this emotional magic trick on you where like you get these people who like shoplift and have kidnapped this kid and you're like, no, I think maybe they didn't deserve that. I think it's definitely being critical of the law yeah. and the the societal structures that are in place around raising kids, living with other people, um, sticking to conventional structures of family. Yeah. That is like, yeah, often something that's really important. You want, If a kid's in an abusive household, you want to be able to take them away from that. But... Um, that just has no flexibility to it for situations like this. I mean, yeah. it, it's fiction. I don't know how common this type of stuff actually would be, but, um, you know, and like not in our socioeconomic echelon, that wouldn't happen a whole lot. But I'm sure in uh, poorer groups of people, you know, you'd get circumstances where kids spend a lot of time at other people's houses and they're much happier there than they are at home, but they have to go home for whatever fucking yeah. reason. And it really is like looking at the the tragedies that can happen when you don't take a uh, case by case view to these types of things. And it's really yeah, and it's really interesting seeing these characters in situations where they just feel kind of stuck. Mm. Um, we it's sort of very compelling to watch, and you think, fuck, what would I do? What could you do about that? Like where this like this young, this girl can't really stay with the the family of misfits, and she yeah. can't go back to her own family. And you go, what the fuck can you do? Like, yeah, right. She sort of has to go back to her old family because they're like, yeah, we'll take her. Like, well, what can you do? Right. I think it's. Oh, it's real. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and and the the I think that Yuri is the most heartbreaking one because she's the least able to articulate what she actually wants. Yeah. And doesn't even know what she actually wants, so she has no ability to navigate this situation or like say what's best for her. And so they yeah. just the law just has to kind of go like, well. I don't know, they gave birth to you and we don't have a... They're not going to formally give you up for adoption, so... I think all the child... She's like five, she can't even... She's like maybe younger than that, like two, four or three. And the the actress that plays her is like actually four or three as well, I imagine. I think she's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really compelling watching her. She's quite 
uh, unmoving and observant a lot of the time, but still pretty I suppose good. It works yeah. maybe, maybe they had to sort of write a character that would work with mm. the limited range that you uh, can get st- from like still, a four-year-old, but it's really good. Yeah. Did you have a favorite scene from the movie? Because I definitely did. Like a, a favorite like shot. <laughs> Do you want to tell you mine? Oh, like specific shot? I just, there's a scene. The fireworks bit. Yeah, the fireworks scene is so good. Yeah. yeah. I've got it written down. That's it's so a, sick. My, my favorite scene, so there's, there's a scene where, yeah, um, they're all like the, the little shack they're in is dwarfed by these big buildings all around. And so when this fireworks display goes off in the night sky, there's a shot, an aerial shot of the little shack from above at night and all the character, all of the family all go out of the shack and look straight up through all the buildings towards the little patch of sky where they can see these fireworks. But they can't even see the fireworks. They're sort of watching the flashes from them. Yeah. Because everyone's like, can you see them? And they're like, no, but you can imagine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the shot, the camera never turns to show you the sky. You never see what they're looking at. It just shows... The camera's always looking straight down, showing their faces looking straight up. Yeah. And I kind of... No, I don't, I don't really know. I'm sure you could get There's something out of that. There's a of thought there where the, you, you look at the reaction to the thing that's happening, not the thing that's happening itself. Where this story is all about them and yeah. their, them as a family interacting. It's not about what's happening to them. And also it's this beautiful little treasure and this little point of happiness for everyone in the family yeah. you didn't get a lot of in the movie. No, you're right. And it was this moment of this like familial bonding that there wasn't, there's a lot of that, but there wasn't one with them all sort of together as this like family portrait kind of shot in the movie yeah. in a way that I really liked. And I suppose it was also like a beautiful way of showing that these people take an average situation and turn it into something that they love. Right. In a way that like sort of reflects the way that they, they live in this shit house and they're in a pretty crap situation like financially, yeah. like socioeconomically, but they're making the best out of it and turning it into something that's lovely. And I, I kind of like the idea that they can't quite see the fireworks and they're still like wondrously staring up at the sky. And yeah, doing what they can. And it's not like they're rushing to try and get a vantage point either. They're happy where yeah. they are. Yeah. They're just living in that particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. Runner-up goes to... um uh. <laughs> Showed us staring at Aki's boobs on the beach, <laughs> and then the dad yeah. being like, "Do you like boobs, Shoda?" <laughs> and he's like, "No, yeah, no, no, I, I, no. I hate, I hate like, boobs. I bet you do. I love boobs. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like gives him the talk. Oh god, <laughs> this talk isn't really much more than like they're pretty good. Though, yeah, pretty great." Yeah, that's very normal to uh, like <laughs> boobs and get boners. So, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. The- it's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he was like, "Oh, thank God, I thought I was sick." Yeah, oh God, that rules. I think the process. I always, whenever I see a scene like that where a kid is like staring at someone's tits or whatever, I'm like, "What was the direction on that? Did but- they just say like, just you just stare straight at those? <laughs> He's like, you just look at no, those. Knockers. No problem. I've been- yeah, it's like, <laughs> all right." <laughs> Yeah. Feel, Don't feels have like, to direct me twice. It feels like entrapment. Like, uh, can, can I get that in writing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, am I, are my parents here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, very funny. Oh man. Um, and to me, the like the actress. That's just where they're just like, right for this scene. Um, he's just gonna stare at your tits, and we'll do like Mu- four or five takes. Must have tits that an eight-year-old would believably yeah, want to stare. Very at. funny. Yeah, and it. I think it almost exclusively. I've never seen a scene. You know, saying it, it's even hard to articulate. I've never seen a scene <laughs> where a young woman... Oh, maybe Juno, where she's talking about the meat swords. Yeah. And their running team runs by. But I've never seen a scene where a young woman is, like, staring at someone's 
dick bulge and then just like linger on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's always, but there's I've seen a bunch where it's the other way around. Fuck yeah! Oh really? really a, a lot of a lot of male objectification of uh, of the female of the female yeah. It definitely form. feels like a little part of the um, coming of age story of. Uh, a dude is Hell like yeah. st- at some point staring at a woman's body. It took us a long time, but now in twenty minutes in, we've finally gotten into our sweet spot. Yeah, where feminism so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where the real hard work of Beef Station gets yep. done. Yep. Is yep. talking about boobs. Talking about the boobs. Yep. And that's about all. That's, I think that's about all we got, right? Yeah, let's start up there. We made it. We made it to boobs. Yeah, that's where we. Sh- that's fuck, right. Maybe we that's should do the that aim every, of every. Yeah, every we gotta week. talk our way Keep around talking it. until yeah, we yeah, get yeah. to boobs. That's pretty good. I don't. We got four hours in and be like, ah, boobs. I have to. I have to cut it yeah, off. Sorry. I really gotta go pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was shoplifters. I think I quite enjoyed it. Um, mm. I, I always forget about a better than worse. Than I don't have one. Uh, if I was smarter, I would have thought of one. Uh, I think Parasite was probably better than this. Um, I think they're kind of different, though. They're not y- the same movie. No, no, th- <laughs> they're not. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities. And, yeah, uh, maybe even just like thematically, but also like just the idea of like a bit of a dysfunctional family living in a bit of shitty circumstances, something, and then something yeah. goes wrong, and they have to like disrupt their way of life. I did like that you get a lot more of the daily life of this family than you do in Parasite. I feel like Parasite launches into the thriller aspect of it. Yeah. Reasonably quickly. Well, yeah, Parasite, it sets up with them like folding boxes in the pizza shop and yeah. sitting around the table eating and stuff. So it felt much more similar then. As soon as they get into the house in Parasite, it's like, nah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not the same at all. Um, but yeah, I think that would be my like worst then. But like, shit, I don't know. It's um, it, it's really shitty to compare it to another Bong Joon Ho movie, but like, this is much better than The Host, which is another host. one about a dysfunctional family. Yeah, right. Um, very different types of films. But what do you think about a, this? Is there an American film yeah, well, comparison? Well, what do you think about this in comparison to like the Captain, Captain Fantastic, Fantastic and Leave No Trace? <sighs> Leave No Trace, I thought, was a really interesting that idea was so of, good. of like what counts as family yeah. and what counts as like what what right does society have to dictate how two people live their lives? Leave yeah, Metro is really interesting in that way. And I think they were just going for like tonally very different things. Um, it, it like <sighs> they came out the same year as well. Um, both twenty eighteen. Yeah, Thomas and Mackenzie. I was trying to think. She does such a good job. She in was the, incredible. In the lead I think. Role. I think I probably thought that Leave No Trace is better. Oh, maybe only slightly. Yeah, these, um, these are all up there. It's in that kind of zone. Like this had, I, I liked looking at the city of Japan more than I think I liked the environments in Leave No Trace. But like, and it's not going for so much of that like natural vibe, that like romantic style, return yeah, to nature food. type shit. And then Captain Fantastic is very stylized. I liked thi- this. I'll, I'll go. Uh, Captain Fantastic is worse than this. I didn't like that nearly as much as I liked. Um, yeah, right. Shoplifters. Yeah, I think these are all on the same and in a similar kind of playing field. Yeah, for me. I think yeah, they're all yeah. very interesting and they're all similar enough themes that if you like one of them, you might like a lot of them. Mm. Leave No Trace is definitely up there as being a, a movie that I had completely forgotten about until you mentioned it. Yeah. an hour ago, and I, I really got to go back and revisit it. It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. That's all from Beef Station for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email us on beefstationpod at gmail.com if you have any suggestions, and we might just get to them two years from now. <laughs> um, I don't really know whether this was a suggestion by Mary, but I thought about it. I've thought about this movie like once every six months for the last two it's years. It's been on my been list like, I should watch that movie, and yeah. now I finally have. Um, 
uh, we got a Facebook page that is dormant. It's not dead. It's just it's just hibernating yeah, for, for the winter. Yeah, stuff. Do it. Um, so you can jump in there and you can like our Facebook page where we post about new apps every now and then. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you think and let us know what you're watching during so this extended isolation we've period. We've got our, our, our actual group page. That's Beef Station. Beef posting. Beef. No, no, no. Like there's the Beef Station page and then there's also the ah, group. Who cares? We'll link them. We'll the link group them. is Beef Station Beef Posting and we're much more active in that, although still not that active. But <laughs> but the, yeah, that that's a good group. We've so got so much online presence that we've uh, neglected. There's a bunch of people I know listen regularly that I recently found out aren't in that group. And so like often I'll only post to the group page because that's where like there's like 60 people in there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, join that. Beef Station Beef Posting. You have to request to join it. But we'll 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 accept you because we. Uh. Like <laughs> I'll accept you, <laughs> and I'll overrule Oscar's admin privilege. <laughs> hey man, we got another one. What Pick you, you out of the group, make you have to <laughs> <laughs> ask me back in. Be good right. shit. Cool. Thanks for joining us. I'm Oscar. And I'm Andrew. See you later. Bye. 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 I love Bye. movies. Bye. 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 Bye.